All right, this is like running through the tunnel up here. Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Reg, and uh, we have been enjoying our fall series so far, Playbook, God's Design for a Winning Team. It kicked off last week. This is week two. We have uh, all the sports decor all around, and last weekend was Jersey weekend. How many people wore a jersey last weekend here? Lots of people? Yeah, there were lots of people that caused good discussion among our church. Uh, everybody in their own jerseys, and um, we're going to have fun with this. So today there's actually little paper footballs in each bulletin. You can get out and flick them around at each other. No, I'm just kidding. There's not. There's not. No, we actually thought about that, but we decided that was a bad idea. Uh, the chaos that would create while we're trying to worship and focus would probably be a wrong idea. Uh, so we did not do that. <clears throat> but that is a fun example of a wrong idea in a church. Uh, but the fact is that there is, uh, there are many uh, more serious things that could go wrong in a church or that can be thought wrong. Uh, deceptions, distortions of truth. Uh, let me ask you this. How many people have ever found out that you had something wrong about the Christian life, the Christian faith, ever in your life? Yeah? All right. Everybody, pretty much, because... You know, when we first come to faith in Christ and we first have new life and eyes that are opened, uh, the Bible says it's like being born again, being spiritually reborn. We're, we start as a baby. And we have a lot to learn about truth as we navigate uh, all the lies that are in the world and, and, the, and just the misinformation. So here are some wrong ideas that, that you hear just as an example. Uh, some that maybe that you have believed. Uh, some things that are prevalent in our culture right now or, our, or people around us. Uh, first is, I can't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. All right. Or, I can believe the New Testament without believing the Old Testament is true. Or, I don't need a Savior. I'm not really a bad person. Or, I don't want to be under someone else's authority. I'm in control. Or, I don't want to go to church. I don't need other believers in my Christian walk. These are just some things that are actually opposed to Scripture's teaching. And there are misunderstandings that are very common and very, very, uh, very popular. And maybe you're walking with, through some of those things right now. Remember how Satan in the Garden of Eden deceived Eve. He said, he asked this question, did God really say? And then he used that to contradict God. And that's a way that deceptions and distortions all around us of the word of God, of God's truth, uh, influence us. And we need to be on guard about that. Because when the devil has a victory, is successful in distorting our, our understanding like that, that's when hardness of heart sets in. Okay, that's when tolerance of things of the wrong kind sets in to our lives. That's when selfishness set, sets in, our own selfish gratification. That's when false teachers become influential in our lives. That's when weird doctrines become believable. You end up not walking with God and not having his power and not living for the purpose for which he saved you. And this is the reason that Paul began his letter to Timothy, which is our fall series this fall, studying through the book of 1 Timothy. If you were here last week, you remember this is why the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy about how to make the church strong, how to make our team strong and healthy, how to be, this is God's design for a winning team. And you remember he started last week, we looked at the first 11 verses as Pastor Jim gave an excellent opener. As Paul, 
first starts with Timothy explaining that we need to guard ourselves against false teachings and false teachers of all kinds. Because they're all around us. And the devil's doing his work as well. And the flesh is as well. Now where Paul goes next, after those first 11 verses, where we are today, starting in chapter 1, verse 12, going through chapter 2, verse 7, is how we can be a team that experiences God's power and purpose. There's our two key, important, awesome words today. The power and the purpose of our team. Alright, we're going to get into those two subjects today and see what God has for us. The power of our team and the purpose of our team. As we continue our series, God's Design for a Winning Team. So if you haven't already, please open your Bibles. If you have them, First Timothy chapter 1. If you're pulling out a Bible in the chair in front of you, it's on page number 991. You can get there quickly and pull out the sermon notes from your bulletin if those help you follow along. Or on your Lake City app. And as we get ready to open the word and walk through it together, I'll pause just for a moment. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles open, you can look up to verse 11. That's where we ended last week. That's where we left off. And the last part of the section that we looked at last week talked about false doctrines and sound doctrine. And it compared a long list of false teachings that trick us up, that we fall into. And then look what he says again in verse 11. He says, all those things that are contrary to sound doctrine, and then verse 11, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. So sound doctrine are things in accordance with the gospel. And that's a key word for today. That's why I'm jumping back to verse 11. Because that sets up everything that Paul's about to set out for us today in the verses we're going to look at. The gospel. And we'll talk much about what the gospel is and the power behind it. That's where we get Paul's first response from here. Our first point on your notes, you see, is celebrate the gospel's power. Okay, we're going to celebrate the gospel's power. The power of this team, Jesus Church, the power of our lives, is the gospel. What is the gospel? Just real quick, if you're familiar with the word, but not really what it means, it literally means good news. The gospel of Jesus is the good news that Jesus, God, became a human, lived a perfect life so that he could sacrifice himself for our sins and hang him on the cross and bury him in the ground and then on the third day rise back from the dead to conquer sin and death for all time, giving life and eternal life and power and purpose to all who believe in him. And that's the best news in the world. And the devil would love to keep a lid on it and distort it in many ways. But we're going to proclaim it. We're going to celebrate it. And we discover in our text today that is the power for our team and the power for our lives. The power. So let's look into this. Celebrate the gospel's power. Paul begins in chapter, in chapter 1 verse 12 right after introducing the gospel. And he bursts out into this. He says, I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. So already in this first verse, Paul has made some serious points. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. So the first thing I want to encourage us to celebrate as Christ followers, as believers who have received his eternal life, is celebrate that Jesus gives grace. Celebrate that Jesus gives grace. 
and that grace gives strength. Oh, there's power in the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1 verse 16, which is the key verse of all the book of Romans, he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power. Our power. And the gospel is not only the power just to be born again and just to become spiritually alive, but no, it's the power every day in our lives to help us walk with God, grow in God and our faith and our relationship with him, to experience God, to discover his power, to be able to overcome all that the world throws at us, and to be able to discover and serve our purposes that God's given us. It all comes from the power of the gospel, of what Jesus has done and is working in our lives. So we celebrate this. We know where the power comes from. We celebrate that Jesus gives that grace. And then next, Paul celebrates that his grace is personal. It's personal. It's ours. Let's look at these verses. What Paul does next in verses 13 through 16 is he gives his personal testimony. We like to give our personal testimony. It's part of obedience to Jesus. So Paul is going to give his testimony about God's amazing grace in his life. And Paul's story tells a lot about God's grace. And yours does too. But let's look at Paul's right now. And we celebrate that God's, Jesus' grace is personal. All right, verse 13, here's where he starts. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy. Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And the first thing I see and I want to draw out from that text is that God's grace is unconditional. Because Paul was the most despicable person. He was a zealous hater of Jesus who blasphemed Jesus who killed and imprisoned as many Christians as he could, despised Jesus. There was nothing in Paul that would draw God to him. And so we learn that God's grace is unconditional. And like Paul, we all need God's grace to show us that our way is wrong, that we are sinners, and we are lost without him. But he wants to give us his grace. And Paul begins his story acknowledging that. But Paul's personal testimony is going to demonstrate for us that a radical change happens when God gets a hold of our life. When God showers his grace on us. It makes a radical change in our lives. Let's continue. And we get excited about this as we see that God has done the same and is doing the same in our lives. Transforming us. Verse 14. Notice again. And the grace of God overflowed for me. This enemy of God. God's grace overflowed in him with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We're going to see a radical transformation. And listen, this, these verses are really good news to anyone here who might be thinking or have said, God would never save me. And he just, he, he couldn't save me. He just wouldn't save me. The things I've done in the past, I have blasphemed God. I have hated God. I have hurt so many people in my life. I have sinned so much for so long. God would never save me. These verses are good news for you, my friend, because that's not true. God transformed the chief persecutor of the church and made him the chief missionary of the church. And he can do that for you. 
Because his, the power of his blood is infinite. And that's what washes you. Now, your life might be pretty bad, okay, in the past. And it might take infinite blood power to wash you clean. But that's what you have. And he can wash you clean. That's the power of the gospel. And so we celebrate that power as ours. God shares that with us. No matter who you are or what you've done, you know that God can save you and rescue you and bring you to life and restore you. And it's filled with joy and purpose. So let's continue asking the question, why? Why would God save Paul? Why would God do this for us? Why give us his grace? So that's the next thing we're going to celebrate as we journey through Paul's testimony here. We celebrate the gospel's purpose. Remember we're talking about the power of our team today and the purpose of our team. What's the power of our team? The gospel. gospel. That's right. Jesus finished work is the power in our lives. Now the purpose of our team and the purpose of our lives for God giving his grace to us. Verse 15 offers one of the most succinct and clear statements of the gospel in scripture. What is the gospel of Jesus? What is the good news of Jesus? Let's look at verse 15 where Paul writes, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Looking at that, First thing I want to draw your attention to is the word came. Jesus came into the world. And you can circle that word. You wouldn't think that's the most important word there. But it is. It's one of the most important things. Because the gospel is powerful because it is incarnational. Now the incarnation is something that we, is a word that we usually you know, talk about at Christmas time. Because that's what Christmas is all about. The incarnation. God, almighty God becomes flesh takes on flesh. That's incarnation and becomes a human. And I want to point out that that's why this gospel is so infinitely powerful because Jesus came into the world. That means that the almighty God, the second person of the eternal triune God, God who's revealed himself as the son, comes to earth and is born as a human in Bethlehem to become a human, to live among us and walk among us, to be one of us, so that he could be the sacrifice for all humanity. The power is in his God, Godhood and the sacrifice connections in his humanhood, his manhood. And he had to do that to come to save us because we are dead spiritually and cannot save ourselves. That's the power of the gospel. So, what is the gospel's purpose then? What is the gospel's purpose? The purpose for him doing that is so that Jesus would take the death punishment that we all deserve the first moment we sin. Okay? We inherit a sin nature at birth and we're all guilty before God. The wages of sin is death. The purpose of the gospel is that Jesus would come and take on that death punishment on himself and hang it on the cross. The punishment of death that we deserve gladly sacrificially. He takes it on and dies and buries it in the ground with him. And on the third day, he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death and keeps our sins in the ground. Amen? And that's where they are. And you can be assured of that. That's the purpose of the gospel, why Jesus did what he did. And we need to accept that. Look at how the verse starts again. 
Paul says this is a saying that is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance. It is truth and deserving of your full acceptance. Now Paul's personal testimony reaches its pinnacle here at the end of verse 15 that we just read and into the verse that follows it, verse, verse 16, as we see more of the gospel's purpose. We're not finished with the gospel's purpose yet. If you look closely at, at this next passage that we're going to read, it's amazing what you see. You're going to see Paul say, I am the worst, but because I'm the worst, I'm the best. And we're thinking, hmm? What's he saying? How do you make sense of that? Because I'm the worst, I'm the best. Let's look at what he means by this. Let's read verses 15 and 16 together. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason. That's purpose. For this reason, that in me, as the foremost, as the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience in me as an example and as the best example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Did you notice this? Paul says that Jesus came to save sinners and I am the worst of sinners. And he says it again in verse 16, I am the worst, but that is why Jesus saved me. Here comes the purpose for the gospel. For this reason, that in me, that in us, that in anyone he saves, he might demonstrate his character, his love, his perfect patience is revealed in us as he saves us and transforms us. That's the purpose of the gospel is to glorify him. To demonstrate who he is. And then he shares that glory with us. It's a fascinating thing to study in scripture. And we see it right here. This is what Paul is saying. He has, Paul has demonstrated the power and the purpose of the gospel through his own story, his own personal testimony. And I just want to ask, do you have a personal testimony of Jesus saving you and giving you life? Have you trusted him and given him your life? And you have the same story for the same purpose. If you haven't, I want you to keep listening to what I'm saying, to what God is saying through his word to you today and see if the Holy Spirit brings you to a place where you're ready to receive his gift of salvation today through the gospel of the finished work of Christ. Now, that is the purpose of our team. That is the purpose of Jesus Church. It's the purpose of Lake City Community Church. And now we come to verse 17 where we, we, read, we read this. We read something that Paul writes that doesn't seem to follow the, the logical flow of what he's been saying. All, all of a sudden he says this. He says, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What's this verse doing here? It doesn't follow the, the logic that he's talking about. It's an outburst of praise. You catch that? I can just see Paul writing these words, writing about the power of the gospel, writing about the purpose of the gospel, writing his own testimony, and then all of a sudden, it's like the pen just jumps out of his hand and he writes this doxology of praise where he just can't help himself. And that's what I want to focus on next is when the gospel transforms our lives and gives us new life and faith in Jesus, it leads us to celebrate the gospel with praise and worship to God. 
And that's what we see Paul doing right here, right on the page in front of us. He teaches that our appropriate response is joy. Man, we've just been lifted out of every pit we've been in, given life by a loving God. Now we celebrate the power and the purpose of the gospel with praise and worship. And I, you know, this is something I can't do alone or with my family in um, Monday through Saturday afternoon until we're together. This is part of the reason why we meet together. So I want to selfishly ask that we all do this together. We're going to not sing this verse, actually. We're going to say this verse together in a spirit of joy. If Jesus has saved you and given you life and given you power and purpose, Please say this out loud like you mean it, like your heart is filled with joy for that. Let's say this together. One, two, three. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Celebrate the gospel with praise and worship. God is good and he's demonstrated that through the work of Jesus for everyone who believes. And now with our celebration of that, we come to the reality that not everyone's there yet. Not everyone has come to that realization. Um, Unbelievers' eyes have been blinded. And so therefore, there are those who oppose the work of the gospel. And our life is filled with this. So Paul next gives a charge to Timothy And to us to fight for the gospel. God's designed for a winning team. Now that we celebrate, now we need to go roll up the sleeves and fight for the gospel's purity. We fight for the gospel's purity in two areas that Paul's going to address right now. First, we fight for the gospel's purity in our lives. All right, here are these instructions. Christ followers, here we go. Verse 18 and the first part of verse 19. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. In accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Paul is telling Timothy, and by us, and us by extension today, he's telling us to wage the good warfare. Now, what does that mean? How do we fight for the gospel as those who follow Christ? How did Jesus fight for the gospel? How do we follow, fight for the gospel? What's this good warfare that we wage? And we do that as he identified in verse 5 from last weekend. If you were here, you remember this. If not, just scan up to verse 5 where Paul is telling Timothy the first time he says our, we have a charge to lead the church, to guard the church, to celebrate the gospel, to be empowered by it. He says up in verse 5, the aim of our charge is, what is it? Love. That's how Christ followers wage good warfare. Love. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's our spiritual warfare. He repeats that same thing here in this verse, holding our faith and holding on to a good conscience. Speaking the truth in love. We've got to speak the truth, but it's got to be in love. Grace and truth is what we offer the world. No one else is offering that like people who are following Jesus. 
Don't let anybody move you away from your faith in Jesus. You've got to fight for the gospel's purity. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't believe parts of the Bible anymore. We've got to fight for the gospel's purity. For their good. For God's glory. Don't let anybody divide the church or distort sound doctrine and ruin the strength of our team. We've got to fight for the purity of the gospel. And we fight it with truth and grace. Love and truth. That's in our lives. We're out there and we get beat up at work and in our neighborhoods and our family. Man, life is a struggle. That's why we always come back to church on the weekends to rally ourselves in our worship of God, receiving again the power of the gospel together. And I hope that you're strengthened by these words today before we get out there and fight for the gospel's purity. Giving the world Jesus' love, which they won't get anywhere else. That's why God's given you to them in the week. So that's fighting for the gospel purity in our lives. The next area we fight for the gospel is in our church. The second part of verse 19. Paul says, by rejecting this, by refusing to fight for the gospel's purity, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. What does a shipwreck look like? It's disastrous, right? In the history of Lake City Community Church, has anyone ever made a shipwreck of their faith? You think? Yeah. Yeah. It happens. And we need to talk about this and identify that this is happening because we need to fight for the gospel's purity within our church. Let's look at what Paul says here in verse 20. Among I'll just start again. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So Paul talks about handing these two men over to Satan. And what that is, is church discipline. He has kicked them out of the church. They were disfellowshipped from the church because they have been blasphemers of Jesus, sowing up doubt, discord, hostility, towards the purity of the gospel. And the idea is they've already been separated from Christ. So to keep the church pure, you disfellowship them from the church and hopefully it has an eye-opening, convicting effect on the person. This is the, the goal of church discipline. Paul is telling us that we must take severe measures at certain times to fight for the gospel. We need to take them. Not be cowards. Not try to ignore it or hope that it goes away on its own. No, we need to fight for the gospel's purity. Whatever you do, hold on to the gospel. Keep it pure. That's the thing that sustains us and will grow us and make us a winning team. So we happen to be a part of a church that holds church discipline seriously. Praise God. It's a weak church that doesn't. But here's, I, I looked in our church doctrinal statement. It's got an excellent statement filled with scriptures on our position on church discipline, and that's always available on our website if you want to look that up. Uh, but I'm pleased to see uh, that it's in there. And it starts, it, it ends with a procedure. The procedures for discipline shall follow the steps outlined in Matthew 18, 15 through 18. Is anybody familiar with Matthew 18, Jesus' instructions for conflict resolution? All right, you're, in, you're familiar with that? 
Has anybody ever had to walk through that in a situation before? Okay, now this is brilliant from what Jesus, the instructions he gave to the church. Matthew 18, 15, and 18. Any conflict that there is in the church, we need to be Christ-like and resolve that conflict. So he tells us the steps to do it. The first step is to go right, if somebody offends you, you go right to the, to the brother or sister and see if you can't work it out and be restored in your relationship. That unity and that restored relationship is vital. That repentance of sin is vital in our church. That's the first step, to go right to the person who's offended you. And I've heard it said that 90% of church conflict skips the first step. Think about that. We go anywhere else other than the person that we have the disagreement with or that's caught in the sin. So just think about that. The second step, if that doesn't restore the relationship or restore the sinner, is to go to bring in two or three witnesses, impartial witnesses, to hear the case between you and see if they can mediate it and restore the relationship to repent from the sin. If that doesn't work, tell it to the church. You bring it to the elder board. And they work through it, laying their hands on you in prayer. And they work through it in love. And if that doesn't restore the relationship, lead to repentance from the sin, then the next step from Jesus is to remove them from the church and treat them like an unbeliever. Now, what's he doing there? How do we treat unbelievers, first of all? With love! Sharing the gospel with them. Alright? So that's fine. The goal is always restoration. It's always repentance and that purity of the gospel. Kicking them out of the church will hopefully have that eye-opening effect on people. I've been removed. Why? And hopefully it leads to the conviction of the heart. And I've seen this play out every time. It, almost every time it leads to repentance. And we pray that it will, of course. And again, I mean, if any time you follow Jesus' instructions, it works no matter what. All right? And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if we see Hymenaeus and Alexander in heaven when we get there. All right? I wouldn't be surprised because Paul was faithful in following Jesus. He... Handed them over to Satan, hopefully to be convicted, their eyes open, and restored. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see Hymenaeus and Alexander in heaven when we get there. Now, I know it didn't happen right away because he brings them up again in 2 Timothy. So there's still an issue. So it might have taken a while. But regarding the gospel in our church, these are God's designs for a winning team. All right, this is what we're a part of. We have the power of the gospel. We have the purpose of the gospel. We need to fight for the gospel. Now starting in chapter 2, verse 1, that ends chapter 1. Now we get into, Paul and the rest of the body of his letter gets into the plays in our playbook. You ready for this? Now that we have that, we know the power, we know the purpose, now we're going to get into the plays of our playbook. That's the rest of our series together this fall. We're going right into the instructions for what makes us a healthy church, a winning team, filled with power and purpose and joy. And we're going to start with the first play in the playbook. And that is, what is it? To pray for gospel ministry. First play is prayer for gospel ministry. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 1, and into the second verse a little bit. First of all then, as a result of everything I've said so far, Paul says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings 
and all who are in high positions. I'm going to stop right there. This is the first play of our playbook. How does the church guard the gospel, celebrate the gospel, fight for the gospel, do gospel ministry? Where do we start? Prayer. That's where we start. I think Paul uses four types of prayer here that he lists those so that we know for sure. He's talking about all kinds of prayer. This is our entire relationship with God. Supplications first is anything that we would request from God. Prayers is our relationship with God. Intercessions is when we ask, intercede for other people. We're praying on their behalf. And then fourth is thanksgivings. Uh, the Bible says to rejoice in all things. That's pretty hard to do. But boy, it feels good when you can do it. Rejoice in all things. Give thanksgivings for all people. That's the, question, that's the next question is who do we pray for? Who do we pray for? Well, first of all, Paul says pray for all people. Just two words, all people. We don't want to gloss over that too quickly because I just want you to meditate on this because this is the essence of being a Christ follower. That we would pray for all people. This is the essence of making any kind of an impact in our world. This is the, the essence of making any kind of change that we want to see in the world. This is what brings it about. First play is to pray. For all people, that means, yes, the bullies at school and your friends at school. The bullies at work and your friends at work. The bullies in your neighborhood. Your friends in the neighborhood. For all people. There is a missions emphasis in this too. As I meditate on this, we think of all people. What does that mean? It means all the people in the world. There are people groups in the world that haven't heard of Jesus yet. That's why we send missionaries. And Lake City has sent almost 30 missionaries all over the world. And it's our joy and first play to pray for them. We pray for the missionaries and we pray for the people that they're working among. That God will soften hearts and break up the ground and and unveil people's blinded eyes, and it works. God moves through our prayers, and he grows us in, his, in our relationship with him in the process. We have a couple strategic mission focuses here that we ask everybody that's a part of Lake City to have a place in your heart for the Tamajic people in Niger, West Africa. And we've been partnering for them, to reach them for the last 10 years, and we have seen amazing things happen over those 10 years. We've been devoted to prayer. Uh, for them. And now the Can people groups in Dagestan say some prayers. Every prayer is powerful. It goes, it reaches the throne of God. Pray for the people of Dagestan. Lots of other groups that our mission partners reach. How about Young Life and Youth for Christ? These are local missionaries that we support and we pray for. I love their mission to reach the farthest out kids. The kids who are are farthest out in their normal natural lives from ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ in our schools. So do we need to pray for them? Oh yeah! This is the first play in our playbook to pray for all these people. For all people. And now Paul drills down on one focus here after he says all people. He says praying for kings and all who are in high positions. That's praying for government and praying for any authority in our lives. Oh, now this is getting challenging. <clears throat> When's the last time you prayed for our president or other governing officials or other authorities in your life? Now, some people do it a lot, and we have prayer groups even in this church that are devoted to that kind of thing. 
But for some, it may have been a while since you prayed for authorities in your life because honestly, it feels a lot like praying for your enemies. But guess what? Jesus told us to pray for our enemies as well. And when we do, we align our hearts with God's heart. And God moves as a result. You want to affect change in our society, in your school, in your workplace, in the world? Pray. And God, in his always gracious way, tells us why. Why we pray. We pray for all people. We pray for authorities. Why we pray. Verse 2 through verse 6. Picking up where I left off in verse 2. We pray that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in all, in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So why pray? There's a few reasons here. First, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, Godly and dignified in every way. What Paul means here is when we have peace amidst the strife in our lives and the pain in our lives and the persecution in our lives, when we have peace in that that defies all explanation, that makes God look beautiful. And we can have that when we pray. It brings others to Christ because it's such an amazing testimony. How can you have so much peace despite all that's happened or happening? It brings us joy because we can take whatever the world throws at us. When we're with God, when we're with people, when we're in prayer. That's the first reason we pray. If you want to influence presidents, kings, queens, authorities, your families, friends, and neighbors, so they'll go to heaven instead of go to hell, pray. It's the best thing that you can do. It's the first play in our playbook. And it's the easiest thing we can do. You don't even have to get out of bed. I was sitting in bed yesterday morning with my prayer app open. I use Prayer Mate. There's lots of different prayer apps. And I'm sitting here praying, doing serious work that's effective work in my bed, thinking about preaching this tonight or today. And it's true. There's power in our prayers. Don't ever think that there's not. This is the first play in our playbook, and we've got to be committed to it because of all the things God does through it. Now, um, it doesn't have to be always easy. The Bible does teach that there's, there is power in praying sacrificially as well through fasting, through being on your knees, through being in a prayer closet for hours. You know, God's going to do powerful things in that. And this church emphasizes, well, the Bible emphasizes corporate prayer. There's an extra sense of power when we pray together. And so this is a church that's committed to gathering in small groups and corporate worship and prayer a lot. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that does that. This is God's design for a winning team. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're enjoying this, this power when we pray, this effectiveness when we pray. And next there are deep theological reasons that we pray as well. Just real quick, I want to touch on these verses back Back to verses 3 and 4. This is good when we pray. It is good 
And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we pray, another reason that we pray, why do we pray? We pray because God desires the salvation of all people, but because he will righteously judge those who reject him. So if our prayers are powerful and effective to unblind the eyes of unbelievers, then we pray and it aligns our hearts with God's heart. God desire, does God love all people? Yes. And when we pray for all people, it aligns our hearts with God's desires for all people as well. But God will not coerce people or force them to believe in Jesus for salvation. So we pray. And he moves. And verse 5 and 6 say, that For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. That's the next reason why. Why do we pray? Because Jesus died for all people. That's why we pray for all people. And now all people need a chance to hear the gospel and receive the gospel. And he has given our prayers power to do that. So take a heart check on your belief in God and your commitment and obedience to him and your willingness to do the plays that he's given us in his playbook. This is the first one. He's created his church and he's saved you and placed you in it to worship him and to do this work in the world. And that's where it starts. We pray. We pray for people. God is worthy of their praise. And Jesus has died for their sins already. And so we pray. And so we pray. And that leads us to our second play. We just have one more verse to look at this morning. And I see in this verse, chapter 2, verse 7, the second play in our playbook. Okay, the first one is to pray for people. And then Paul says, look in verse Timothy, or verse, verse 7, he says, For this, for this, what we've just talked about, for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. What do we do after we pray? Then we go out and we preach and teach. As we pray for people, we then preach and teach the good news of Jesus to all people. Now, I know you're thinking, preach? Isn't that just something that pastors do? And the answer is no. The word actually better translated here would be herald, which is someone who makes an important announcement. Herald is just a, a word that we don't use very much anymore. I think that's why they put the word preach there because this is a misconception if you think this is the only preaching. It's heralding the gospel, announcing. A herald is an announce, somebody who announces news and announces something that's important or something that's happened. Like a sports announcer at a sporting game. They're just announcing what is happening. And that's our role. That's what we do next. That's play number two. We pray for people and then we just go announce the, that Jesus is real. And that he's transformed us. That he's meaningful to us. That the Bible contains answers. That's heralding the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And teaching. Teaching is part of the Great Commission. The last part of the Great Commission is for all of our lives. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. We teach each other. We learn from each other. We disciple each other. We grow together. Obeying more and more faithfully all that Jesus has commanded. And parents, I just want to say your, your first mission is to disciple, to teach your kids. And if you're not doing that, you don't have to know much about the Bible. You just have to open it and teach them the word of God. 
This is our second play. We pray for people and then we herald the good news and we teach and learn together all that Jesus has taught us, including all the rest of the plays to follow the rest of the season, the rest of the fall series. And I, I do hope that you'll come back every week and be a part of a small group. If you're not in one yet, there's uh, still open groups. You can stop by the table and try to get in one. Uh, you can get the study guide and um, get the full experience of the playbook series this fall. As we talk through these things, as we walk through these things as a winning team. This is what the church is all about. It's what we are all about. So I'm going to encourage you to take a few next steps right now as I close. Ways that you can respond right now today, this week. The first one is something I'm going to encourage you to do right now in your hearts, right where you sit. That is, I will examine the gospel's power in my life today. We talked about the power of the gospel. How powerful is the gospel of Jesus? His finished work, his lordship in your life. How powerful is that in your life right now? Going through the things that, you have to, that you're facing right now or the mission that he's called you to be on. How powerful are you right now? And there's a spectrum. On this end of the spectrum, you're dead. <laughs> right? You have not come to spiritual life by trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. There's no power there yet. But once you do, you've been brought to life. You've been born again. Maybe you're somewhere here because maybe you, you've just recently trusted Christ. Praise God. He's going to grow you in power and maturity and awareness of him. Or maybe you've just been set back because of circumstances of life or you've drifted away. That power is there for you. You can grow in that. Maybe you're, maybe you're really active in serving and, and being fruitful. That's great. Maybe you're on fire right now on this end of the spectrum. The fact is, we all need to be gather, together in this church. And you can't grow to the next place in your spiritual walk without everybody else. Every part of the body offers you something in health. So I want to, I just encourage you right now, honestly assess before God, where are you on that spectrum in the gospel's power? What do you need to grow to the next place? Second next step is a specific challenge I want to give to you. This week, I will share my testimony with someone this week. Paul shared his personal testimony, and it's impactful. And yours is too. Each and every person who's been saved by God is a powerful transformation, powerful story, testimony to his grace. So the easy places are in your small groups, which are designed to give people time and opportunity to share their faith with each other. That's how you get to know each other so well and praise God together your family, your friends, or maybe go bigger. Say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my story or just who Jesus is to me with somebody at school this week, okay, or, or at work this week, or that neighbor that I just haven't talked to about my faith or invited to church yet. And make this the week. You're taking, your, you're taking the first step of the playbook, prayer. You're taking the second play of the playbook. That's my challenge to you to do that this week and see how God works through your life. Third is I will pray for these people and do the following for them. If you have your notes in front of you, there are two bullet points. God just told us to pray for all people. So I'm just going to encourage you to do this process. Write down a few names or one name of people that you need to pray for. Okay, write those down. Maybe take a mental note. Although we have a senior pastor that says a goal is not a goal unless it's written down. So I'd love to see people writing this down or typing it. Okay, this is on my Outlook calendar for tomorrow. I'm going to pray for these people. And then the second bullet point, then I'm going to do what to herald the gospel to them. 
Write that down. Commit to God. That's your next step. Do it and reap the amazing rewards of faithful obedience to Jesus who we follow because he has saved us. My last challenge for everyone is, is to read 1 Timothy. This is where God has all of us this fall. I'm going to encourage a short letter. You can read it uh, quickly. Read it a dozen times. Read it 30 times this fall or just read it once. Uh, but be in it. I want to encourage you to do that. We do have these journals if you want to just journal while you're doing it. Available out there. Um, let's immerse ourselves in this in this. Uh, scripture that God has brought us to this fall. I look forward to the next uh, five weeks in our study. I hope you do too and I hope that you'll come back. Before I pray, there's one more thing I want to invite everyone to. This is a cool part of be, about being a church family. Right here on the front row is the Johnson family, part of it anyway, and some friends. Jasper Johnson is having his 13th year manhood ceremony tonight, uh, today right after the service, after we sing and close. And everyone is welcome to participate in that as a church family. I think it's pretty awesome. I can't wait. Let's pray, church family. <clears throat> God, you have brought so much into our minds and hearts right now. And I just pray that as we work through it, ponder it, celebrate and respond to it, are convicted by it, make plans to change our lives because of it, that your Holy Spirit would be there with us all along the way, convicting us, empowering us, guiding us. And we're so thankful that you've called us to be yours. And we just want to be faithful and obedient as people and as a church that you've called us to be. So this is our corporate prayer right now of commitment to those things that you've laid on our hearts this very day. I pray for anybody who has not trusted Jesus. Again, it's been said already today, but one more time, I want to offer this prayer because it is effective. It is powerful. I pray that they'll give you their lives today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.